It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hitler in the house. Not since Nuremberg has there been a more rapturous applause, a more rapturous reception for an actual Jew-killing, genocide-enabling Hitlerite. That's what happened in the House of Commons in Canada last week. A 98-year-old man was cheered to the rafters, hailed, if I can use that word, because he'd fought the Russians in World War II. The teenage scribblers who pass for Canadian MPs are reduced to pleading stupidity. They didn't know that anybody fighting Russians during the Second World War was fighting for Adolf Hitler. But it gets worse, much worse. Just you wait till my monologue. And Big Brother is definitely watching you. We've all gotten used to the surveillance society, difficult though it is to swallow. But now that surveillance society is on the offensive and is literally closing down entire corporations so that they cannot reach you with their contributors. You thought the online safety bill was bad. Wait till you hear what the British and French governments plan to do with Rumble, and it's probably heading your way too. So stay tuned. Keep your seatbelts tightly fastened. It's going to be a bumpy night because it is the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. My tweet to draw attention to the rapturous rounds of applause, multiple rounds of applause for a Nazi in the gallery in the Canadian Parliament, obtained something like 6 million impressions and 100,000 responses. And it went around the world and it went around Canada. It had a seismic impact. Suddenly, the man that the entire, all party, House of Commons in Canada, were cheering to the rafters, is now facing potential extradition to Poland to stand trial on war crimes charges. Nothing quite like it has ever been seen before. And I'm very proud of the work that we did to turn this subject around. It will prove to be an inflection point in the war, as I predicted that it would before I addressed the matter on the Mother of All talk shows on Sunday. And I'll explain why in just a minute. But it gets worse. Not only did the entire parliamentary membership of the House of Commons in Canada rapturously receive this man, who was introduced as having fought the Russians during World War II, you would have thought that even a fool would realize that that must have meant 
given he was 98 years old and from Ukraine, that he was fighting on the side of Hitler in the Second World War when Canada was, of course, making a massive sacrifice of its young men in that war against Hitler. One million Canadian volunteers came to Europe to fight Nazism. And many of them lie in war graves in Normandy and elsewhere in Europe. And their war graves were crying out in agony at what the scene was as it unfolded in the Canadian Parliament. You could say it's a strong statement, but Justin Trudeau danced on the graves of these Canadian heroes who gave their lives against Hitler, whilst back home their parliament was cheering a Hitlerite to the rafters. Not that they had no idea who he was, even if they hadn't any idea who he was, uh, the mere arithmetic involved and the geography involved would have told them that this man must have been fighting with Hitler against the Russians in World War II. Who else could he have been fighting for? Was he a lone gunman fighting the Russians in the Second World War? But even if that's all they knew, it should have kept them on their beam end rather than up like clapping seals on their feet. But they did know. As a matter of fact, Prime Minister Trudeau met this man before the event. And thus the Speaker of the Canadian Parliament has been thrown to the wolves as a sacrificial goat. The blame does not lie solely with him. The blame lies with two others in the government, at least two others in the government of Justin Trudeau. First, the buck stops with him. He's the prime minister. He's the one that's worked himself and the Canadian media and has tried to whip the Canadian people into a paroxysm of anti-Russian hatred, which reached such a peak that anyone would be applauded if they'd fought against the Russians anytime, anywhere. Not thinking that in the Second World War, things were rather different. The 100,000 Canadians who gave their lives or their limbs who gave their blood on the beaches of Juneau and Normandy and elsewhere, cry out now for justice. But there's a second person in this frame. The second most important person in the Canadian government. Freeland is her name. She's the finance minister, the deputy prime minister, and undoubtedly, saw herself as the next General Secretary of NATO. That's right. After the Norwegian tailor departs, Christy Freeland intended to sail for Brussels and the top job in NATO. Now this event would probably have knocked that on the head because she was the one and is the one that next to Trudeau pushes hardest for this extremist line on the Russia-Ukraine conflict, such that Canada wants the kinder, gentler North American state 
loved by most people in the world as a peace-loving place, has become the most warlike, the most warmongering, the most hawkish country in the Western world. And that is saying something, Britain running it a close second, the United States only third place compared to both of those. But there's another reason why Freeland will not be going to Brussels now. Because I can reveal to those who don't already know that Freeland's grandfather was a Nazi newspaper publisher in occupied Ukraine in the Second World War. He was the mouthpiece for Hitler, the pogroms, the Holocaust, the Waffen-SS, the Holocaust in the East, the mass murder of Babi Yar, the mass murder of Jews, of Poles, of partisans, of Ukrainians, who did not want to collaborate with Hitler and the Nazis. She claims not to know what her grandfather did in the war. And if you believe that, I have a bridge here in London I could sell you going cheap. Freeland's grandfather was a Nazi propagandist during the fascist occupation of Ukraine in the Second World War. So begin to ponder this mix. Trudeau, the high-heeled Jack, as I called him, the walking, talking emblem of wokeness, has become such an obsessive against Russia and China that he has lost any sense of perspective. That's the only explanation there can be for meeting with a 98-year-old veteran of the Waffen-SS, the SS that was declared a criminal organization, the whole organization, for those idiots who like to claim that not everyone in the Waffen-SS was bad. There are such people, actually liberal people, now claiming that on social media, but the Nuremberg Tribunal knocks that on the head. The entire SS was declared a criminal organization. Ipso facto, every member of it was, and if they're still alive, is a criminal, a war criminal, because the legion of atrocities, of massacre, committed by these people, is so long and so unspeakable anyway, that before the watershed it is difficult to adumbrate. I just ask you to watch Steven Spielberg's The Final Days, about the mass murder of the Jews in Hungary by the SS and the Hungarian Nazis, the Hungarian equivalents of Hunka and the other Nazis in the Galicia division of that Waffen-SS in the Ukraine. 
these local satellites of Nazi Germany were worse than the mass murderers of the SS. No Jew in Ukraine made it to the gas chambers. They were cut down where they stood. They were thrown into pits and mass murdered in those pits, covered in lime, after the final assassins had walked across their bodies, writhing in the pits, murdering anything that moved, just to be sure. Who did those mass murderings? The Germans stood back and smoked. It was the Ukrainian Nazis that committed the massacre of Babi Yar. Babi Yar, where hundreds of thousands of Jews and others were massacred, was carried out by Ukrainians, the very kind of Ukrainians, now celebrated in towns and cities all over Ukraine with statues and streets being renamed and buildings called after them. And the kind of Ukrainian that got a standing ovation by every single member of parliament in the Canadian parliament just a few days ago. But it gets even worse than that. Do you know who was in the audience? Do you know who gave a standing ovation to a veteran of the SS mass murdering machine? Do you know who was also on her feet rapturously applauding? That's right. The German ambassador to Ukraine. The German ambassador to Kiev was up on her feet applauding. This is beginning to look like history repeating itself. We've got the official representative of the German government applauding an SS veteran. In Canada, we've got German tanks on the ground, burning actually, in the Ukraine, on the Ukrainian steppe, where once they invaded and came within a couple of kilometers of Moscow itself. Raus! Raus! Achtung! These words, this tongue is heard again on the former territory of the USSR. This History is repeating itself. If not for what happened a few days ago, Freeland would have been in Brussels, running NATO. The first head of NATO was a former Nazi general. And the next general secretary of NATO was going to be the granddaughter of the Nazi's chief propagandist in occupied Ukraine. And so what has happened and why this is an inflection point 
is that that which had been an undercurrent about the Nazification of Ukraine is now burst wide open as a worldwide phenomenon. That's why they've all gone quiet over there. That's why the Twibbons are quietly being removed and pulled down. That's why Western statesmen are struck dumb. Do you hear Sunak or Cleverly or Blinken or Biden condemning what happened in Canada? I did not hear a word from them because, frankly, there's really not much that can be said. The balls burst. It's all out in the open now. That which Putin had claimed and was laughed at, the need to denazify Ukraine, and as it turns out, way more than Ukraine, is now clear and obvious to everyone. All over North America, there are monuments, shrines to Nazis, to members of the SS in Canada, in the United States. And everywhere where these former prisoners of war were sent, they are, of course, now second, third, fourth, fifth generations progeny of these mass killers and not that many of them seem to have disavowed the ideology and actions of their forefathers. So we have a Nazi problem in the West. We have a Nazi problem in NATO. They have a big Nazi problem in Canada and a giant Nazi problem in Ukraine. Try selling that the next time you're asking your taxpayer to stump up even more scores of billions in your currency to keep that regime in Kiev afloat. Now I'll let me turn briefly to the other big story of the week. News speak. George Orwell's 1984, looking increasingly like an instruction manual rather than a novel warning us of the dangers of authoritarianism, of totalitarianism that we thought we had defeated in 1945, but we had not. Its seeds have proliferated and are now fructifying amongst the political class and the managerial class that worked for them all over the Western world. The idea that the Online Safety Bill, now ACT, in Britain will allow a censor to decide what you can see, not on the television, not what you can listen to on the radio, no, what you can watch on the internet. The internet, the global frontier 
that was going to set us all free to find the points of view, the analysis that we felt we wanted or needed in order to make valued judgments on the great issues of the day, foreign and domestic. That internet in Britain is now in the hands of Ofcom and a woman you've never heard of who can decide to tell YouTube, to tell Twitter or X or Instagram or Facebook or any of the other social media companies. Take that down. Take George Galloway's show down. Not because he said anything illegal. Not even because they think it's misinformation. They call it malinformation. Which means it might well be true, but we don't believe that that information is in the public interest. And if the social media company refuses to take it down, they will be fined up to millions of pounds for their refusal. And of course, that means they're going to take it down. And so any day now, some of the people that you follow, that you go to for information or maybe just for an alternative point of view will not be there because the British state censor has taken them down. Is that what your father fought in the Second World War for? Is that what your grandparents endured the Second World War for? That we, who used to call ourselves the free world are now amongst the most unfree of them all. And to put a tin hat on it, because Rumble, a foreign corporation, a capitalist outfit for business reasons, refused to remove he who I cannot name or algorithm will kill this show. Rumble is about to be banned in Britain. Turns out it's already banned in France. Can you believe it? And if they ban Rumble, how long before they ban Twitter? They hate Elon Musk because he has nailed his colors to the mast. He's for Trump and not for Biden. He's for peace in the Ukraine and not for war. He's skeptical about all these lockdowns and never-ending injections. He can't be relied upon, Mr. Musk. And above all, perhaps, he's returned some semblance, at least, of freedom of speech on his platform. Rumble today, Twitter tomorrow, why not? It's said of serial killers that once they've murdered their first, each subsequent victim is more easily murdered. They get into the habit, you see, 
the murder of freedom of speech is well underway in this country and almost certainly in your country, wherever you are. I'll be right back with expert testimony. Stay tuned. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, Big Brother is definitely watching me. I'm pretty sure he's watching Dr. Robert Epstein. He certainly will be after this show. Dr. Robert Epstein is professor, author, journalist, and senior research psychologist for behavioral research and technology and an expert on big tech and the policing of social media. Dr. Epstein, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, I'm now past worrying myself about the surveillance society. I don't do things that I'm ashamed of, uh, and therefore uh, they can spy on me all they like. But I am very concerned that they may be poised to stop me speaking to other people like you and like the big audience for this show. Am I right to be worried? I, I know more about that probably than anyone in the world. And uh, yes, you were right to be worried. Well, tell us, first of all, how we got here and where we now are and where they might be going next. Well, as you said yourself, the internet initially, uh, the hope was, would be a uh... Uh, a kind of uh, playground for ideas. It would level the playing field. I mean, no one foresaw what's actually uh, happened. So what has happened? What's happened is that uh, the content we see is controlled mainly by two very large monopolies, uh, neither of which can be broken up. Uh, the antitrust actions being taken against Google right now in Europe and in the US are actually shams, complete shams. Uh, they were designed by Google's legal team. You can't break up Google's search engine because it won't work. Uh, and you can't break up Facebook's social media platform because that would be like putting the Berlin Wall, you know, through the, the center of every home in the world. So, uh, you know, these companies know this. Uh, so, you know, they, they work with the lawmakers and regulators uh, to their own advantage. So you end up with very big monopolies. Uh, controlling content. Uh, 
and deciding what now more than 5 billion people around the world can see and cannot see. And you've said this yourself, and I know you're concerned about that and you're worried about uh, your own uh, presence being uh, suppressed uh, on the internet. And these uh, companies, Google especially, they're very aggressive and also very arbitrary in the decisions that they make uh, regarding uh, censorship and suppression. And they do work closely with governments. And unfortunately, uh, the new law that was just went into effect in the EU and the law that might be going into effect in the UK, uh, they, they create a closer tie, closer than it's ever been between the big tech companies, the big tech monopolies and governments. So the tech companies become kind of agents of change for the governments. Uh, no matter how, how you look at this, uh, it's a dire situation. Um, in Back in 1961, uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Eisenhower, by the way, was uh, head of Allied forces in World War II, but this was uh, his last speech as president. He talked about the rise of a military industrial complex. He was concerned about that. People still repeat that phrase quite a bit. But in that very same speech, people don't, don't know this, but I went back and read it. In that very same speech, he warned about the rise of a technological elite that could someday control public policy without people's knowledge. Well, the truth is the technological elite are now in control. How do I know about all these things? Because I have been using very rigorous scientific methods for more than 11 years to study the new powers that these tech companies have to shift people's thinking and opinions and votes. Uh, and I've developed a possible solution, a way to, to make these companies accountable to the public for the first time. I've developed monitoring systems. In other, in other words, I've developed ways of doing to them what they do to us and our kids 24 hours a day to surveil them as they surveil us and to make the information a public and to share it with public officials. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. Uh, my team is the only mm -hmm. team in the world that does this kind of research and does this kind of monitoring. Uh, there's something wrong with that picture. But bottom line is, yes, you have cause for concern. It would be less worrisome, doctor, wouldn't it, if we had politicians that believed in freedom of speech and freedom of expression. I think we can safely say we now don't. So those who are in power, the opposition might feel differently until they are in power. But those who are in power have no greater ambition than to stay in power. And staying in power depends upon shaping the narrative, shaping the uh, public square and the discourse therein uh, in a way that is not disadvantageous to them. Or we had big tech companies, owners, publishers, uh, who believed in the publish and be damned principle, who believed in the principle of Voltaire that I hate what you say, but I'll uh, fight to the death to defend you saying it, uh, your right to say it. Given that we don't have that kind of publisher and we don't have those kind of politicians, we're in a very, very difficult place, Doc. 
Well, absolutely. And this is something now that we have learned how to measure very precisely. So at the moment, we're building the world's first, we call it a nationwide digital shield. Uh, if you want a kind of a, a peek at what's coming, in fact, this is going to be updated very soon. It's going to look a lot better within a few days. You would go to americasdigitalshield.com. What we have been building over the past year is a system for tracking the content, the real content that the tech companies are showing to real people, to voters, registered voters, and to children as well. We now have more than 11,700 registered voters in our system in all 50 U.S. states, more than 2,000 children. These are children of some of our, uh, some of those adults who've joined our system. And what these these people have done is allowed us to install special software on their computers, which does not violate their privacy, by the way. And that allows us to kind of look over their shoulders and capture the content that the big tech companies are sending to them and to their children. That content is immediately aggregated and analyzed. So we can see whether, in fact, there are manipulations in play. We can see whether kids are being indoctrinated and exactly how they're being indoctrinated. And the point that is that we are capturing, we're preserving content which has never been preserved before and which these companies use strategically and deliberately, sometimes at the behest of government authorities, to change people's thinking and behavior and votes. Uh, the power that these companies have to do this is beyond anything that my old mentor at Harvard, B.F. Skinner, ever imagined. Uh, he was very much into you know, benign control, the concept of benign control. Uh, but what these companies have available to them has never existed before in human history. They literally, by 2015, they were determining the outcomes of about 25% of the national elections in the world. Uh, with no one knowing what they were doing and without leaving a paper trail for authorities to trace. So I just want to introduce one concept here, and then I'll, 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 I'll let you interrupt me. I'll let you talk. And that's the concept of ephemeral experiences. In 2018, there was a leak of emails from Google to the Wall Street Journal in which employees at Google were talking about how can we use ephemeral experiences to change people's views about Trump's travel ban. Well, my head spun when I saw that because that's what my team and I had been studying since 2013 for, for more than five years at that point. And we had been learning in our experiments that by manipulating ephemeral experiences, these fleeting experiences we have online, like uh, search suggestions that are being flashed at you while you're typing a search term, the search results that appear in the list below, the ordering of YouTube videos on YouTube, the up next video that plays automatically if you do nothing. All of that is ephemeral, which means that it's generated on the fly just for you. It disappears, it's stored nowhere, and no one can go back in time and preserve it. It's the ideal tool for manipulating the masses worldwide. And that's what we have learned now, not just to study and quantify, but we have learned to preserve it. Believe me, these companies never imagined that anyone ever 
would figure out how to preserve that kind of content, archive it, analyze it. They never imagined that. And so they're quite unhappy with me and my people, quite unhappy with us. But meanwhile, we are forging ahead and we now have almost 12,000 field agents, all registered voters in all 50 states. Uh, in recent months, we have preserved more than 45 million. We crossed the 45 million mark yesterday, 45 million of these ephemeral experiences. And we have been identifying the bias and the manipulations that these companies are using to shift people's thinking and opinions and votes. Now they can't affect everyone, they're affecting the people who are undecided. But think about it. In an election, it's the people who are undecided who determine who wins, especially in close elections. And Google knows exactly who those people are, and they are using these techniques strategically and deliberately to shift votes. We know in 2020 that Google shifted more than 6 million votes to Joe Biden, whom I happened to support at the time. But still, I object to the fact that a private company that's not accountable to the public can shift that many votes. If our system is shut down, if we can't find sufficient funding to keep it going and growing, if we shut down in the next few months, the 2024 election in the US, the presidential election, the outcome will be determined by Google. They will be able to shift in that election between 6.4 and 25.5 million votes. And again, if there's no monitoring system in place, they'll do it without anyone knowing what they have done and leaving no paper trail whatsoever for authorities to trace. Well, you're definitely doing uh, God's work. Uh, I doubt if Elon Musk could be so described, but he is I think undoubtedly uh, better than the others in that he has to a considerable degree, though not entirely, uh, freed his platform from what was the most corrupt relationship between the old Twitter, pre-Elon Musk, and the deep state. I mean, we now know, thanks to Matt Tybee and Elon Musk himself, some of the heinous manipulation and corrupt dealing uh, with uh, secret uh, security agencies and so on that uh, Twitter was involved in uh, before. How much longer will they tolerate that? If they are going to ban Rumble, isn't the ground being prepared uh, for a potential ban on Musk? Oh, it's quite possible. In fact, I think that uh, Musk would be extremely interested in what my team and I have been doing, the systems we've been building, because these are systems that, that create accountability where none has ever existed before. I've simply found it impossible to reach him. I'm able to reach lots of other prominent people, uh, but I've been unable to reach Elon. But he's been speaking out uh, against these companies and their, the way they, they suppress content, uh, he's been speaking out against them for years. Uh, one of the reasons that he purchased Twitter was to change the way it operates because they were operating in a, in a very dramatically political fashion. But, you know, Twitter is much smaller than these other 
uh, entities, uh, um, namely Google and Facebook, it's much, much smaller. So the real threats really come from the larger companies. Uh, You know, let's just take one example, Google's homepage. Normally there's nothing on it except the little box where you type in your search term. But on certain occasions, you know, they'll put a big colorful display of something and a message. So on election day, for example, in the U.S., I'm sure they do the same thing in the U.K., on election day, they have a big go vote reminder. Well, they get a lot of praise for doing that because everyone thinks that's a public service. But because we are monitoring, we know it's not a public service. It is a vote manipulation, a very blatant one. So, for example, in the 2022 midterms where we were doing extensive monitoring and where we preserved more than 2.5 million ephemeral experiences related to the midterm elections in the U.S., in Florida, 100% of liberals were getting those go vote reminders on Google's homepage all day long, all day long on election day. I mean, that homepage is seen in the U.S. alone more than 500 million times a day. Were conservatives also getting those reminders in Florida? 59% of conservatives were getting those messages, 59%. Now, that is an incredibly blatant manipulation of votes. If you are sending out go vote reminders in a partisan fashion nationwide in this country in a presidential election, on election day alone, that will give an additional 450,000 extra votes to one of the presidential candidates. And if there's no one monitoring, no one will ever know that you did that. And what does it cost the company to do a manipulation like that? Nothing. Zero. This is dangerous stuff. These are huge manipulations. This is not like the ballot stuffing and all that stuff that people are concerned about. You know, in fact, Google and Facebook, they're trying to point people in that direction. It's like what magicians do, you know, misdirection. They're saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look at all these silly little effects and and go crazy over them because they don't want you looking at them. Because those little effects that people are obsessed with, uh, these conspiracy theories, so-called, they don't have much of a net impact on elections. But what Google and Facebook are doing, that's completely different. That, that shifts millions of votes. So we're up against uh, uh, some powerful entities here, the likes of which have never existed before. And they're not just manipulating people in the U.S. They're manipulating more than 5 billion people around the world. And believe me, they are manipulating people in the EU and the U.K., Uh, to an extraordinary extent. You know what's ironic about that? Just one more comment and I'll shut up. One more comment. What's ironic about Google's manipulations in the UK is that uh, in the UK and the EU, they've both been very aggressive in taking Google on. And uh, the EU has fined Google more than 10 billion euros in recent years for various kinds of manipulations, including favoring certain products in their uh, search results. Uh, so they've gotten these fines and they've gotten orders to do this or that. But, you know, they've completely ignored them. What's lacking in both the UK and the EU is a monitoring system. If there's no monitoring system in place, you'll never know whether they are complying 
with orders, with rules, with regulations that they're supposed to be following, you'll never know they're doing it unless you're monitoring. Well, uh, both Donald Trump and Elon Musk have been known to tune in to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Two million people every week do over the course of uh, seven days. I very much hope that they watch this interview, Dr. Epstein, and if they haven't, we'll do everything that we can to draw it to their attention. Thank you very much can I give out, for joining us. Can I give out a link? Month. Of course, of course. If people can people can learn more about my work and help to support it by going to mygoogleresearch.com. That's mygoogleresearch.com, and I hope very much that you'll help us. Uh, we're doing very important work, and we can't do it without your support. Thank you, Dr. Epstein. God's work indeed. Thanks for joining us. Let's hit the lines. Canada first, of course. Adam in Toronto. Welcome, Adam. What would you like to say? Hello, George. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to Welcome. talk about uh, the obvious uh, obvious incidents, of course. Um, and yes. also the woeful state of Canadian media. It took them 48 hours uh, to actually mm-hmm. cover the fact that the man who was celebrated was a Nazi. Um, and Twitter got right into it within three hours. The first, uh, the first yeah. way I found out about that incident actually was by watching your show. So it got all across the pond right into the UK. Uh, and, and I had to, I had to watch, uh, 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 I had to watch a British podcaster watch, uh, <laughs> cover this incident, uh, properly. And, uh, yeah, and and the other thing I want to talk about is 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 yeah. So if you ever subject yourself to watching uh, uh, Canadian media, it is uh, it's a tough watch, but uh, that's the uh, that's the only way to to understand. Somebody what we're has to do going it. Through with. Somebody somebody's got to do it, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing was Trudeau's apology. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but his first appearance after that incident. Uh, he, he did not take any questions, and uh, he gave a very, uh, very lazy, unworthy uh, apology, and uh, and 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 alluded to guarding. He he, he said we should guard ourselves. He blamed the uh, Russians. Any sort of, <laughs> he, he blamed, blamed the, the Russians. Russians. Guard ourselves. Guard ourselves from Russian propaganda. And honestly, uh, w- what I gotta say is uh, if. If you're a Russian propagandist, you got the easiest job in the world. It, all you got to do is click copy and paste or post your video without context, word for word. Uh, that's all I got to say. Thanks for, yeah. uh, thanks for covering this. God bless you, Adam. And uh, I think that the mother of all talk shows played uh, an incredibly important role in making this uh, finally the biggest uh, news story in Canada, uh, one of the biggest that there has ever been. And if not for us, my activity on Twitter and then our show on Sunday night, maybe it would have taken them 72 hours or maybe they would never have gotten round to it at all. Certainly in what was an incredibly uh, uh, comparable to 1984 move, the leader of the House on Monday tried to persuade the House 
of Commons to delete all reference to the entire affair from Hansard, even though half the world has now seen it and got it saved on their phone, they were going to pretend that it actually had never happened by excising it from Hansard, the, the public record. That's the kind of people they are. If they can wipe it off the official record, well, it never happened. And Trudeau, you're right, he blamed the Russians. It was the Russians that forced him to meet with a 98-year-old Nazi war criminal, ipso facto war criminal. All members of the SS were war criminals, according to the finding of the Nuremberg Tribunal at the end of the Second World War. It was Russia that forced him to meet that guy. It was Russia that forced him to get to his feet and also actorly gush, emote over the presence of this anti-Russian fighter in the gallery of the parliament that he is in command of as prime minister. And then, when everybody joined in, Zelensky, Trudeau, Uncle Tom Cobley and all, none of these MPs are household names, even in Canada, never mind anywhere else in the world, none of them are legends outside their own households and maybe not even there. Up steps, jumps the German ambassador. And her excuse was that the Speaker of the Parliament had not made clear when this man was fighting against the Russians. So she stood up in a standing ovation anyway. But he was 98. He was a Ukrainian. When do you think he was fighting against the Russians? Scratch a liberal, it said, and find a fascist. That old saw has never been more true than it is today on both the subjects we're discussing tonight. Scratch a German diplomat. What do you find underneath? I think you got my message. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Nick Branagh, I've heard speak in person once, but I've seen him online many, many times. He is easily more accomplished than three quarters of the legislators on the Hill in Washington. And if he had applied himself uh, to the dark arts of skullduggery and sycophancy, he might well already have been on the Hill. He will get there, though as the leader, national chair of the People's Party of the USA. Please welcome Nick Brana. Nick, uh, I'm a big fan, as you know, uh, but uh, I feel that we may have uh, parted uh, ways on our approach to the, uh, to the presidential election. 
in the US. So let's get that out of the way first. I would ordinarily have uh, automatically uh, supported the candidate of the People's Party, uh, although I would still have had a view on other candidates, a ranking, if you like, of who would be the very worst uh, victor of the presidency. But I've got to tell you, for me, notwithstanding one in particular huge uh, disagreement, uh, I think that Robert F. Kennedy is the candidate behind which everyone should get. And it's not impossible in the polarized field uh, that we have in US politics that an avenue is opening up for an RFK win. What's your point of view on that? It's good to see you again, George. Good to catch up. Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, RFK Jr. is, I think, the only independent candidate who has a realistic chance to win now. We, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been talking recently about whether he will mount an independent run uh, for the presidency or run with a third party as a result of the insane Democratic Party rigging that is happening in his election that exceeds even the rigging in the Bernie Sanders election. And if he does that, we did a poll, we commissioned a poll as the People's Party, and we found that, in fact, 63% of people would like to see him leave the Democratic Party and go independent, run as an independent, whereas opposed to 37% of people are would rather see him stay with the Democratic Party. And even more impressively, in a matchup against Biden and Trump, Bobby Kennedy gets 17% as an independent already. And he draws equally from Biden and Trump, which is amazing. 17% support would make him the most successful independent candidate since Ross Perot. And Ross Perot, who also ran as an independent in 1992, he was actually winning the race against Clinton and Bush Sr. with 37% of the vote to their 24% each. He was a full 15% ahead as an independent on the ballot in all 50 states to the two establishment candidates until he dropped out for a few months and then re from July to October and then re-entered. But had he not done that, he probably would have won that race. Bobby Kennedy could do that now. The Democratic Party is a complete dead end for Bobby Kennedy. But if he's able to place the country and the people that he's looking to represent above the political party of his family that he's been his whole life, then he could win. And he is the only person who could do that. And we need to break this cycle, George. Every four years here in the United States, there is some progressive or populist who runs with the Democratic Party, who it seems like the first time they generate all this excitement, Bernie Sanders the last two times, but going back decades before that, they get cheated by the party establishment every single time. And every single time they fold right back into the establishment, they endorse the establishment candidate, they fold the movement back into it and nothing comes of it. 
We have to break that cycle now. And Bobby Kennedy seems to be realizing that there is no future. He referenced on a podcast a couple nights ago, the DNC fraud lawsuit. The Bernie supporters actually filed suit against the DNC in 2017 after the DNC rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders. And they said, you misrepresented the impartiality of the primary. It's in your DNC party charter that you have to give us a fair primary and we want our money back. Well, the party argued in court, it said, we're a private corporation and we're entitled to rig the, the primary and we'll give the nomination to whomever we want. And so it seems to be dawning on him that the independent path might be the only one. And if he can do that, then we might finally break out of this cycle of jumping from Democrat to Republican, Democrat, Republican. He could win as an independent. Well, Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat with nothing changing. It's not that, uh, I mean, if, if, if choosing Tweedledee rather than Tweedledum made any blind difference, uh, one could see the point, but nothing changes. It's a uni party. They have the same foreign policy. They have the same uh, economic policy, the same. They, there are some hot button cultural issues pronouns and, 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 and the rest that uh, might differentiate one from the other, uh, although each will have a liberal and conservative wing within it, uh, even on those issues. But nothing really changes. And breaking the cycle is what I have long been interested in. Uh, throwing a huge spanner in the works so that those works don't work anymore. And I have never seen a candidate better qualified to be the president of the United States than Bobby Kennedy. I mean, on everything, on the, the economy, on the environment, on uh, big pharma, on labor issues. And of course, most importantly, overwhelmingly most importantly, his determination to end the forever wars to stop the United States' headlong rush into what could end the entire planet and the human race. What's not to love? In fact, he seems to be the only candidate, George, who understands existential risk, both from nuclear war, but also from engineered pandemics and from artificial intelligence. We are simply out of time as a country and as a, a planet. We're developing technologies that could now wipe us out. Bobby Kennedy understands this. He talks about it. Hundreds of AI researchers signed a letter uh, in May saying that artificial intelligence poses a, a, an existential danger to humanity. And yet they're barreling ahead with developing it for, prof for profit and raw power without any kinds of safeguards. So we're, com we're absolutely out of time. We have to make this kind of change now. The fact, George, that he draws from the Democratic and the Republican parties evenly actually gives him a level of immunity from the spoiler accusations that third parties generally face, because it makes it so that neither party can claim that their supporters are just benefiting, you know, the lesser, the, the greater evil by supporting him. 
I've never seen a candidate that draws evenly from Democrats and Republicans and is extremely popular with independents and non-voters. He could bring in millions of people. The hundred, a hundred million people don't vote in every single election that we have, George, because they've completely given up on the two parties because they, they understand that nothing's going to change with them. So he has this unbelievable opportunity. Another thing that was amazing that we found when we looked into his support in running as an independent, which this is the first time that somebody has polled him in a head to head matchup between Trump and Biden as an independent. We found that he has more support among the general electorate, the American public, than he does in his own party. He gets a higher share of the vote in the general election than among Democratic primary voters, which, of course, the primary is completely rigged. But when you're running with Democrats, what remains of the Democratic Party is unfortunately the people who are watching MSNBC and CNN, who are the most propagandized people in the country. And you're trying to win an election that is already rigged and is supposed you're supposed to win a contest among those people. It's ridiculous. But if he goes independent and he said he's going to decide, actually, George, in the next two weeks by October 15th. So this is a rallying call to everybody. This is our best chance to break the cycle is to call on Bobby Kennedy to go independent, write him, tweet him, share it on social media, write into his contact on his website. If you see him on the campaign trail, call on him to do it because it's either this or it's another dead end. The rigging that the lengths to which they are going to to rig it is insane. And the D, what people don't understand is that the DNC is essentially the Biden campaign. The Democrats and the DNC would rather lose the election than with, with Biden than win with Bobby Kennedy. This is the same dynamic with Bernie. I was lobbying the superdelegates as Bernie's national political outreach coordinator in the 2016 campaign on his campaign. And I was showing them month after month polls that showed that Bernie was leading Hillary by double digits against Trump in the general election. They chose to lose. They knew that they were walking into a loss. But the thing is that all of the DNC members, all of the money that they get, all of the consultants, the vendors, the whole ecosystem of the Democratic Party is dependent on the funds that the Biden campaign raises for it because they have a fundraising vehicle, a joint fundraising vehicle called the Biden Victory Fund. It receives hundreds of millions of dollars. And then that money is distributed from the Biden campaign to the DNC, to all of the 50 state parties, to the vendors, the staff, the consultants. If you took that money away, the money that is the lifeblood of the party, that corporate big money, the party would collapse. And all those big donors, all, all the, the whole, all the whole party apparatus, every, all of the staff, the vendors, the consultants would be gone. They'd be out of a job. And so it's existential for them, for the party. It, they don't care if they're going to lose. They're going to pick the person who is going to keep the gravy train rolling for them. And they have no shame. They will rig it to whatever degree they need to. So this is your shot, Bobby. Go independent. Well, uh, you say you are surprised, and some will be. Uh, 
that he was drawing from both Trump and Biden in the polling that you did, but I'm not. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, because I'm much older than you, I remember what a Kennedy Democrat was in the 1960s. That was uh, his father's pitch. Uh, not a Democrat, but a Kennedy Democrat. That, this means that you stood for values, you stood for things uh, that were uh, definitely different from the moguls, the barons, uh, the LBJs, and uh, the Mayor Dailies, and all the crooks uh, that rigged the convention in Chicago in 68. Uh, and if, if Bobby had not been murdered, uh, who knows what they would have done to stop him. Uh, becoming the candidate, Bobby Sr., I mean. By the same token, a lot of people vote for Trump not because they're actual Republicans, uh, but because they hate the elites, they hate the nabobs, uh, uh, the, the billionaires, the riggers and the fixers and the people who regard them as a basket of deplorables. Uh, such people can be won by Robert Kennedy. They don't have to vote for Donald Trump, uh, who, let's face it, uh, kind of lives the life of a nabob, albeit different uh, in his political approach to some uh, political issues uh, to the nabobs on the Democratic side. So I, I can well see an independent run by Robert Kennedy creating a, cons a constituency for the future because this will not be his last rodeo. Uh, although he's not young, as a matter of fact, he's, he's a year older than me, but he's vibrant and healthy and strong and he could run again. He can influence the course of American politics, even if he doesn't win. What do you say? I think that to see, I completely agree, and to see a Kennedy, of all people, place the people above the party apparatus, I think it would be so symbolic. His campaign has rooted itself around this concept of heal the divide in the country that is so polarized uh, although I really believe it isn't as polarized as the media tells you. There's such a there's a commonality of interest among all of us. We all want to live a good life. We all want to end the wars. We're all outraged by the money that's paying for the social services and the business subsidies in Ukraine while people don't have food to eat here in the United States. And Bobby Kennedy opposes that. So I want to tell you something, George that I actually sent him uh, recently that I emailed to him and to Dennis Kucinich, his campaign manager, another person I have a lot of respect for, in, converse, in, in, in telling them why they should go independent and why they should take action, uh, really, against this party, and that there's nothing left to save. This party has become the Democratic Party. It has become the party of Wall Street and Big Pharma and Big Tech and the CIA, it is an extension of those interests. It is like all of those deep state interests have come together 
and formed a political party. So here, even more so than the Republican Party at this point. And so here's what I told him. I said that people want someone who is going to fight as hard as they are desperate. It could be that galvanizing moment of national clarity and agreement that could catapult you forward. The ground is so fertile for that moment in this country right now. These are the moments that make campaigns. Bernie never had the courage to confront the party, but you can. Have faith in the movement that you have awoken to respond. Have faith in the American people. Have the guts to be bold and to take risks. People respect the fighting spirit. We won't defeat the machine any other way. Let's call the question on the Democratic Party, because if we don't, they will rob you blind and dash the hopes of everyone who supports your campaign. Then our country will be ripped apart by exploding war, poverty, dollar collapse, elite conflict, and before long, some existential catastrophe like a nuclear war, engineered pandemic, or weaponized AI. Amen. Nick Branagh, I wish you were in the hill. I wish you were on the ticket. One day, I believe you will be. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. It's been a marvelous show, I think. I hope you agree. And if you do, uh, then the good news is uh, I'll be back again on Sunday at the earlier time of 7 p.m. UK time. Now, I keep giving you this uh, 2 million uh, number. It may actually be well over that. There are so many people watching clips of the mother of all talk shows. We no longer have the staffing resources properly to count them. But do bring along another viewer anyway. Good night.